This particular book, again, as I said, is a kind of history of the development of demonology and comparing and contrasting to surrounding civilizations. As I said before, this is a framework that I want you all to imbibe. You have to put on your discerning, listening ears when, 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 whenever anyone, but when certain people start talking about religion or history of religion, especially if you watch the History Channel, right? Um, I think on my Prime account, there's a, there's a, uh, a movie called Who Wrote the New Testament? And that would be an example of uh, this, uh, an approach that is what I call sociological. Okay, so basically, um, people, we, people say, well, you have these cultures, and they express this, and then this other culture believed that, and so they obviously borrowed this from that. And it's as if the, there's no actual authenticity to the belief of anybody. It's just what convention dictated with a few changes. That sort of, that is a way of seeing this and approaching this that's dangerous and just wrong. So be aware of that. And there is a fair amount of that in this book. Um, so we talked about, for example, uh, Arabic understandings of demons and the Chaldeans, the Babylonians and Hebrews. I, I think that's kind of where we stopped. Um, today we're going to be looking at, um, just as a quick reminder, <clears throat> the general belief was that demons were sort of everywhere. They were sort of omnipresent. In, this is in other cultures, but the, the Hebrew culture believed this as well. Demons were sort of everywhere. They were particularly in some animals uh, more than others, okay, like things like snakes and scorpions. And um, that is important because you end up talking about Genesis 3, and is Genesis 3 the devil tempting Adam and Eve? This is a common, I mean, that's one of the most common skeptical retorts that, that will be thrown your way. A Christian will be like, well, the devil tempted Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden, and a, and a critic, a scholar, will say, ah, ah, ah. It's like, uh, what's his name from Jurassic Park? Nah, ah, ah. You know how he says that on his computer? Anyway, okay, no, no, no. It wasn't the devil, you, 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 you Neanderthal naive fool. It was a serpent. The Bible never says that it was a serpent. And again, the argument is that the understanding is that demons inhabited certain animals and appeared as, they would appear as talking serpents, for example. This is not uncommon. So, um, so you could say to that person, oh, you Neanderthal naive fool. Actually, what you don't know is that that would have been shorthand for a demonic force tempting Adam and Eve. Whether it was the devil or not is essentially irrelevant, I would argue. But we're going to be talking about Satan today, specifically. Um, I have a note here about exorcism. Let me see. Let me, I don't think we covered this, so let me start there. Um, <clears throat> once persons... Now, again, this is... Uh, I want to make sure that I'm in the right um, in the right culture. This is uh, this is in uh, uh, I, I believe this describes uh, this is yes this is this is under the category of Babylonian Assyrian and early Hebrew demonology. Okay, so this would be true of sort of all these particular cultures. Okay. Once persons had come under the influence of demons, the only effective remedy was the power of the exorcist. 
Exorcists were priests as well as doctors. They formed a professional class of mediators between the victims of demons and the gods whose power alone could destroy or control the influence of demons. So I think I said in a sermon the other day, the doctor and the exorcist were the same person. Okay, this, this, sort of, this idea sort of goes way back. Okay, uh, To this period of differentiation of function, the magi, word ring a bell, or magicians who warded off the uh, attacks of demons and witches may be traced back. The following are the main elements of Babylonian exorcism. And basically, he, he looks at the things that would take place during uh, a, an, an exorcism. You would have particular objects used in preparation. Uh, here's one that might ring a bell, right? The use of spittle, spit, right, is frequently mentioned in the incantations, and it was believed to be very potent in the casting out of demons. Ring a bell, anyone? What? This is new. Greek, they do this at Greek Orthodox Church and weddings, what they spit on people? Yeah, it was I was just going to make the, the joke about that, but uh, oh, wow, okay. So hopefully Steve's, Steve's grandfather is not an Orthodox. Well, I'm referencing a New Testament story involving spit that people often think is very odd. Yeah, yeah, Jesus made mud out of his spit, and he put it on the eyes of the blind man, right? And he was, he was cured. So, again, we're like, what in the world? But to the hearer of that, to the, to the ancient Hebrew person, right, even in the New Testament era, they would have been like, well, yeah, spit has exercising properties, and the effect, this person's blindness was a, a demonic influence. Now, again, remember, I said this at the first week, big picture, we... On the one hand, we, we would not say that every malady is the result of a personal demon attack. We live in a fallen world. As a result of the fall, bad things sort of happen. On the other hand, we wouldn't totally divorce it from the realm of the demonic, right? So the blindness falls into the realm of evil because it's a deprivation of the good. So in a sense, it is a lowercase d demonic result of temptation and fall, right? But we're, but we're not necessarily saying, like, remember, this was the question that was asked of Jesus. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so they were very interested in sort of assigning blame to somebody, to a person, or maybe in previous generations it would have been what demon, right? And, and so Jesus doesn't heal every blind person or every deaf person. He doesn't raise every dead person from the dead. The, miracle, the use of miracles are to demonstrate the power and authority uh, of Jesus, but not necessarily to... Um, you know, to cure everyone, right? So, again, we, we want to make that distinction. But I think the, the fact that it was used in ancient rites is interesting, that, that spit was thought to have these, these sorts of properties. They would use incantations, very exact incantations. Uh, much emphasis was laid upon the exact recital of the correct form of words and the careful performance of the ritual, which had been proved to be efficacious by the process of time. So, Words have power. Uh, the magician or exorcist did not rely merely upon his own power for the achievement of his per per purpose. He always made an appeal to the superior gods to help him in his conflict with the evil powers. So exorcisms were not necessarily uh, exciting affairs. Okay? It wasn't 
yelling and screaming and casting out and blah, that sort of thing. It would have been a very deliberate, methodical ritual by which the exorcist demonstrated power over demonic force by appealing to authority. Does that sound familiar? Okay, this is what you see in the New Testament. You see he has authority even over demons, right? And actually, Jesus really didn't go through incantations, right? He didn't have to say magic words. This was, this was what struck people as unusual. Exorcism would have, was common in the day of Jesus. There, there were exorcisms. There was belief in demons. I used to believe, and I think I said this in a sermon recently, I used to believe that the demonic activity in the New Testament was an extreme amount of demonic activity, that the sort of demons come out of the woodwork, given that the Son of Man is prowling around Israel. I don't know that that's the case. Uh, the, the belief in the demonic being everywhere and the use of exorcism, I believe, would have been pretty standard fare. Now, it could have been that it increased in Jesus' day, but the way that Jesus exercises demons is unusual because he himself is the authority. The culture before would have said you need, uh, you need magical objects, incantations, and an appeal to power. You use certain words that can bind uh, uh, or loose uh, a demon. And so, um, as an example, even today the Arabs consider the owl to be the wraith of a dead woman seeking her child. It's worthy to note that these birds were accounted unclean in Levitical law. Anyway, there were, th that's an example of an exorcist in, uh, in the Arab culture. They would hold a hawk to flutter in the face of a demon. So that, that's the sort of thing where they'd get a hawk, you know, they'd make it flap its wings in the face of a possessed person. That was part of the incantation. That was part of the ritual. That was part of the object that would have been used in, in, um, in an exorcism. Um, and so the exorcist already read that, made an appeal to superior gods. Um, knowledge of the supernatural energy. Belief in the power of the name appears in another feature of Babylonian demonology. It was held that before a demon could be cast out, its name must be known and mentioned. Now that should be very familiar. That should immediately strike you all as a familiar New Testament tactic, right? What's maybe the most famous name of the demon in the New Testament? Beelzebul, in terms of, yes, in terms of what they accused Jesus of, so I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll count that. What's number two? I, I shouldn't be ranking. Legion, yeah. Right. Because we are many, right? So this is the, probably the most famous demonic exorcism possession case in the New Testament, right? The guy, the in, in bound in chains and, and Gesineret or the Gerardines. There's actually a textual variant, I think, on that word, so people debate exactly where it was. But he lived in the tombs. They tried to chain him up. It didn't work. Jesus exercises him, gets the name of the demon. And uh, you, you actually will see this in, like, I think even in maybe in the Exorcist movie, which is really a pretty good movie, by the way. Okay, the Exorcist is, is pretty good. Um, but anyway, I... I there is, if you have the name of something, you have power over it, um, you know. So when Jesus gets the name, the, the point is that he now has power, and he casts it out into the herd of swine, and they go off and kill themselves, right? Um, let me go back to, quickly to the word magi, though. Um, you know, this is the root of the, of, of the word magic, right? And... Uh, 
Remember that when Daniel was in exile in Babylon, that Nebuchadnezzar and others had a cohort of magicians. These were called magi. And they all sucked at their jobs, okay? But Daniel was pretty awesome, okay? And so uh, Daniel is included in the cohort of the magi, and it's my belief that he taught the magi hundreds of years before Christ how to uh, interpret not so much the stars as much as the scriptures for the coming Messiah. And that is how those magi came from the east, which is where Daniel would have been in the east in Babylon. And that is how they came. So I think the story of the magi is true. Uh, It doesn't say three, by the way. It only says they brought three gifts. Uh, But however many magi they were, I really do think that they came from the east and I think it ties into David, or Daniel, rather. I can't prove that, but that's what I thought. But that, when you think of Magi, these were essentially, these, it's, it's this. It's, it's the Babylonians, right, who believed in demons, and the magicians were people who had power over the demons and studied that particular art. Yeah. So I don't know a lot about Jewish Kabbalah, although I will say that the, uh, I believe that Kabbalah back originally is, is kind of the Hasidic movement, actually. So, you know, we think of the Hasidic Jews as like the very Orthodox Jews, but I believe there was a, it's a kind of a mystical form of Judaism. I mean, I know that, you know, Madonna kind of popularized it, you know, with the little red wristband or whatever silliness. I think there's a Kabbalah place on a Chimney Rock. Anybody seen that? Chimney Rock and near 59. Oh, I'm, it might be on Shepherd, but anyway. Uh, I don't know much about it, I couldn't say. But I, it is a more mystical expression of Judaism, and I think it goes back around... Um, 200 years or so, and I actually think it's more of a Russian era thing that kind of spread later. But it's, 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 I think it is very close to being cult, cult-ish for sure. And um, I don't think Orthodox Jews recognize it as legitimate, but I might be wrong about that. Yeah. What? It's closed today? Okay. Kabbalah, so it was a bookstore. Okay. Is Madonna still Kabbalah? Does anyone know? Okay. Thank you. Exactly. Okay. So the power of the name, this would have been another tool of the exorcist. Oh, yes, Chris. A couple of questions Yeah. Yeah. And then um, you said many times about how back in Jesus' day they were worried about demons. Luther was worried about demons. For sure. His prayers were about saving through the night. We'll, defi- the night. we'll definitely talk about the the rise of uh, I don't want to say demonology, but the rise of concern about demons in the medieval period. For sure. A couple more comments I apologize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you are baptized in holy water, you, you, your, your water becomes holy and your blood becomes holy. Yeah. Um, 
Mm. Don't actually speak it out loud. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, there's, there's a... I think the way in which we do things may make a difference. You know, the word, the word I would think of is invoke. If someone asked me to come to their house to do a house blessing, for example, and said, we've been experiencing some strange things lately, we're not sure what to do with it. You know, I'd have a general conversation for a while, but at some point I would say, you know, have you done anything to, like, invoke? You know, and, um, <clears throat> I mean, that's probably good advice, um, unless you're mocking. You know, one of the, one of the, uh, the, the at the, the very first line of the screw tape letters that C.S. Lewis writes, I mean, before you get to the letters is, the one thing the devil can't stand is mockery. And so essentially it's a book that mocks demons, right? And, um, you know, it's, it's true. You know, there are certain people without a sense of humor, um, and you can guess that they're demonically possessed. Uh, you might want to perform an exorcism right then and there if they don't laugh at your jokes, you know? Uh, but anyway, but the devil hates to be mocked. And, and in fact, he's quoting Luther, um, when he writes that, it's a Lutheran quote. Uh, Luther quote. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I don't know that. I don't know that you need to know the name of a demon to perform an exorcism. I, I, I actually would not recommend trying to figure it out. I'm just saying in the New Testament, there's a corollary. And so what, what I'm trying to do is just trying to kind of paint the picture of what the New Testament times and culture would have been like, because it is so foreign to us at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, this, this, this book doesn't, but the other book will talk more about some of the, the fads and trends. Like there's an essay from the 1890s that sort of is a take a step back look at the rise and sort of fall of belief in demons. So we'll look at that. Oh no, it's on definitely on the rise. Right, and we'll definitely get to that. Yeah, the result, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think there's all Okay, we are supernatural creatures. That's who we are. We're not naturalist only creatures. And so there always will be a, an interest in and interaction with the supernatural realm. It's a matter of doing it rightly. Um, I mean, y'all probably have seen like these teenage TikTok, you know, witches, you know. Uh, you know, yeah, no? Oh, you should definitely not follow them. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there, there, there is money to be made in witchcraft. I mean, big time money. I've read many newspaper articles from like the Los Angeles Times about the, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, Hollywood is so evil, avoid watching movies. I, just as a matter of fact, witchcraft is a booming business in Hollywood. Pseudo, I don't even think they're real, but basically... Real, quote-unquote, okay, false witches draw people into the occult, into real de demonology, right? But Oh, well, he totally screwed up the franchise. But other than that, 
They just should they just should have stopped with Return of the Jedi. That's just, you know, and maybe the Mandalorian, you know. So anyway, but no, uh, witchcraft, I mean, I'm talking people paying many, many, many thousands of dollars to go see a person, to read crystals, to do fortunes and all that kind of stuff. Big time business right now. But yes, ma'am. Oh, interesting. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So unless you have the authority to draw the name out, like, right, like a, like a, what do they call that in spaceships, the tractor beam, right? So Jesus had, like, the demon named tractor beam, but you don't. Yeah, they'll lie to you. Yeah. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Definitely throw your Ouija board out. Okay, definitely throw your Ouija board out for sure. Um, I mean, we we joke about that, but you know, Milton Bradley or whoever Hasbro still makes them and sells them. You can buy one at Walmart. People are doing that kind of stuff now. Yeah, I do believe in invocation. Yeah, invocation is real and very stupid. Don't ever do it. It it. I do think that we can invite demons into, you know, and that is, again, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but there's, there's a whole essay we might look at, and we've talked about a little bit in the past about tongues, tongue speaking, and a lot of the charismatic so-called, I, I, they all say it's part of the Holy Spirit, but once they've sort of lost touch with, you know, reality to a degree, and I think it's definitely in many cases a portal to the other world, and remember, the demons will lie to you, they will tell you that your tongue speaking is of the Holy Spirit for 30 years, 80 years, if it finally draws you into the world of the occult and to leave Jesus behind, to prioritize the Holy Spirit over the revealed word. That This isn't the Bible, but... Yeah. Then, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to say it three times. Yeah. So should my kids watch Beetlejuice? Because we were actually thinking about that the other day. Yeah. Um, EA. Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you, we will absolutely encounter people who are uh, demonic. You know, they, 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 they have, they're on the other side. I don't know how else to say it. Um, but remember, but remember, they, they'll always come as, an, Satan always comes as an angel of light as well. So they will lie to you. So be, look, but don't be, don't be looking, don't be calling someone you don't like demonic either, you know. Yeah, Cameron. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. It's a. This is kind of a cliche, but remember that when the federal government trains people to find counterfeit money, they learn the real thing with 100% accuracy. So they don't really learn about counterfeit currency, they learn about the real thing so that when they encounter the fake thing, they can easily detect it. So that's what I would say when we think about demons and sort of encountering the demonic. If you know the scriptures really well and you have a, an active prayer life and you feel or you have a true living relationship with God through Christ, empowered by the Spirit, then you will know. You will know uh, when you're encountering a less than pleasant force. Let me read this. Y'all ever heard of Josephus? Josephus was a historian. He was Jewish, but he sort of kind of sold out to the Romans, and he ended up writing a history, a Jewish history. And um, one of the, this is reading now from the book. One of the most interesting passages relating to the subject is found in Josephus. I will cite this since it shows so clearly the prevalence of the belief in demon possession and exorcism among the Jews. Josephus, Josephus by the way, was practically contemporary with Christ. If, uh, no, maybe he was a little after Christ, because I think he wrote about Christ. So very, very, very near. Anyway, anyway. Um, as well as Solomon's fame as an exorcist and his mode of procedure in casting out demons. This idea of Solomon being an exorcist, by the way, is debated. But there are people who believe and argued that so King Solomon, right, David's son, was a famed exorcist. Quote from Josephus, God also enabled him, Solomon, to learn that skill which expels demons, which is a science useful and, and sanative to men. He composed such incantations also by which distempers sorry, are alleviated. And he left behind him the manner of using exorcisms by which they drive away demons so that they never return. And this method of cure is of great force unto this day. He is talking about a book that Solomon is said to write of incantations against demons. Other people dispel that that is a true book, actually of Solomon, but actually people wrote it later in Solomon's name. So I don't actually know, but Josephus is as contemporary as we're going to find a historian, and he believed this book was really a book of incantations against demons that Solomon actually wrote. 
And the bigger picture, I think, is that did Jews believe that demons possessed? Did they have a way of exercising demons? Did they have incantations, words that they would say, processes that they would do? The answer is yes, they did. And so when Jesus, even during the Second Temple period, when Jesus is doing his ministry, and you see demons all over the New Testament, and you see the way that he cast them out, this is why he's accused of being Beelzebul, right? This is why he has to say a house divided cannot stand. Because it's obvious to everyone that he is circumventing the normal process. It's another example of how he is God in human flesh. Um, but if we don't, I think, appreciate at least the, the, the Jewish sort of context in which he finds himself, then we might, we might miss that a little bit. Um, let me read this. The gospel account, uh, at least, this, he's talking now about the story of the Gadarene pigs, the, the, right? Where the, okay. He says, the gospel, this gospel account at least shows the existence of a belief widespread among many peoples that demons are able to pass from men to animals as well as from animals to men. Now, let me keep moving here. Um, gods and spirits. Um, let me just read a few quotes, and we'll talk about it. Gods are oftentimes quite evidently simply spirits which, for a variety of reasons, have attained a greater prominence. I want to stop because language is important. Uh, you, you know and we use, speaking of invocation of a name, right, that's why when we say the proper name, the tetragrammaton, right, the four-lettered name that God gives himself to Moses, that, is, that, that word is never said among Jewish people. It's not said among many Christians. It is now coming back into Christian translations of the Old Testament. The, the name of God given is Yahweh. We would spell it Y-A-H-W-E-H. That is the name God gives himself. It means... Well, it's... Well... Y-H-W-H, it has no vowels. We add the vowels. And remember Jehovah, because the Y is like a J sound. Jehovah is Yahweh plus the vowels. And it's the vowels from the word Elohim. Okay, the, uh, so, there's a proper name for God, and then there is a generic name for God in, in, um, in Hebrew, Elohim. And so, when you see things like Bethel, Israel, okay, any name that ends in L, L is short for Elohim, it's shorthand for God. Yah, by the way, is short for, shorthand for Yahweh. Hallelujah, okay, praise to Yahweh. Every time you say the word hallelujah, you're using the shorthand name for Yahweh. Um, that uh, might be, by the way, why on Palm Sunday they were saying Hosanna in the highest. They, they, they weren't saying hallelujah. I don't know. The point is that I, I, my argument has always been that it's an overabundance of caution to never say that word, but we ought to do so carefully. I don't think it's blasphemy to say that particular name of God. Um, I don't think it's violation of that commandment because it's in the scripture hundreds and hundreds of times. Every time you see uppercase L-O-R-D in your Old Testament, that is the proper name of God. And it was written as the proper name of God for hundreds and hundreds of years. So um, that's just my own view on that. But um, what was I saying? Oh, okay. So it's important to understand that the word gods is used a lot in the Old Testament, but that doesn't mean that we believe in other gods. But we're speaking of a supernatural being, okay, that is not the God of the universe, but a kind of spirit, a kind of angelic being. Also, when it says, do not worship any other gods, 
That is not an acknowledgement, as your village atheist would like to have you believe, that the Israelites believed there were other gods. Okay? Um, it's essentially saying some people say that there are gods by the name of, say, Baal or Molech. They are not gods, but other people say that they're gods. Don't worship those things that other people call gods. Okay? The Ten Commandments does not, is not an admission of polytheism. But this is important because sometimes these words are sort of thrown around. Let me give a, a kind of summary statement. A god is not but a spirit writ, uh, thus, I'm sorry, a god is not but a spirit right large. A great part of the development of the Babylonian religion consists in the differentiation between the gods and the spirits. So gods are like higher in this angelic realm, what we would call an angelic or spiritual realm, than mere spirits. A more, favor, a more important distinction is that the gods were believed to be more favorably disposed towards man. Though at times angry, they could be appeased. The spirits on the whole, though not entirely, were hostile, and there, were only one way, there was only one way of dealing with hostile spirits by the method of exorcism. So eventually you have these distinctions where you have this, you know, the gods, and if you think about kind of the Greek understanding of gods, right, they're, they're not always nice, but they can be nice to you and you can appease them. But the spirits, those were the things that would sort of attack you and they had to be exorcised. Um, okay, so I'll, 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 I'm going to keep going. I'm, I'm going to do my best to keep throwing things. One, um, there is a whole list of animals in Hebrew that are said to uh, be demonic. Um, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I do want to mention one, which is Azazel. Um, this is the scapegoat, all right, the scapegoat. Y'all know the story of the scapegoat. It's a kind of bizarre, one-off Levitical law where the sins of the people are put onto this goat, and they have, it, it with a leader, goes and wanders off into the wilderness. And it's allowed to live, but it has to leave the area. It's basically two sentences. In fact, could someone look up um, Leviticus 16.8? Uh, sorry, I should have... Anybody have a Bible on their phone or something? Leviticus 16.8. Let me read a little bit while, while you're looking for that. Um, the ceremonies thus prescribed have a number of peculiar features which have called forth a large amount of discussion. That is to say... This kind of understanding of the scapegoat is, is somewhat debated. But the bottom line is that the, the argument is made that it, Christ is essentially, in being the sacrifice, you know. Of course, we use that phrase in popular parlance all the time, right? We're making someone a scapegoat. It's basically we're blaming everything on them. But Cameron has it. Go ahead, Cameron. Yeah, so that's the, it's kind of an odd story of the scapegoat, but Azazel 
is a, is a name um, uh, for a demon. And um, there, are, there are other demons. For example, one, the demon of the night is uh, Lilith. You ever heard of the name Lilith? Popular name, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So Day of Atonement, holiest day of the year. I think that would have been the case uh, in Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. The high priest every year on the Day of Atonement, two goats, one is killed as a sin offering, and the other is. Did it say offered to Azazel? The lot falls on Azazel, and he's sent out into the wilderness. So I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and um, try to explain it, but let me read a few summary paragraphs, because this is a debated sort of the way this makes its way into the New Testament or is a, is a, is a foreshadowing of the New Testament is a little bit debated. But let me just read this. So also it may be urged, the one goat is sent away for Azazel, not as a sacrifice— but as a proof or symbol that in the Holy Land there is no longer any unexpiated guilt. The idea is favored by the fact that uncleanness attaches both to the animal and to the man who leads it forth, because someone has to lead the goat into the wilderness. Before the latter can return to the camp, he must wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water. So it, the symbol is all uncleanness is, we're, we're, we're putting all this uncleanness Okay, onto this goat, and he's going off into the wilderness. He's being led away. There's no more uncleanness in the land. The sin has been atoned for. And even the guy who leads the goat has to ritually bathe himself to be clean to come back. Yeah. Say the last part. Something. He had all the sins. Yeah, well, so the, um, I think these are different, there are different uh, parts of the law that we find fulfilled in Christ. I mean, for example, we tend to think of Good Friday in, in terms of the Passover, because the Passover was the event that was happening. But I'm ignorant, uh, does someone know if the Day of Atonement is part of the Passover? Those are separate festivals, right? Like Yom, isn't that, is that Yom Kippur? They're separate, right? So, I mean, in terms of the lamb, you know, so the, 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 this particular rite involves a goat. But, again, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the law. Two goats, two goats, yes. Um, yeah. So if I were to use the more direct symbolism, I would always say it's Passover. But, uh, the, um, but I think that this is part of Jewish law that Jesus fulfilled, so you can say that this is also part of the Jewish law that's fulfilled, that all the uncleanness is removed through the shed blood of Christ. And it is time to go. Um, the, the next thing that we're going to talk about is Satan, it, Satan himself, if you will, and sort of the development of Satan. And just to sort of give you a foretaste of where we want to go, and this is extremely important, um, Christians are not dualists. Okay, it's very important to understand. Christians are not dualists. Okay? We don't believe that there are two forces in the world, good and evil, who are always duking it out. Okay? 
There is only one God, and he has kicked the devil's butt, okay? Uh, he's already won. And yet, for re- certain particular reasons, the, the demons still have some say and influence. You know, Paul says that Satan is the prince and power of the air. So we're going to look at things like that. But we're not dualists. And this is important because we're going to start looking at sort of the development of Satan, what that word means, and, and we have to be careful. And actually, we're going to look at the differences in how the Hebrews developed this Satan character from other surrounding cultures. For example, Zoroastrians are dualists. The God, these good and evil gods have e- equal power. That is not what we believe, and that is a key difference, which I think gives validity to the revelatory nature of our faith rather than the uh, sociological borrowing approach that's so common. Cameron, last word. Oh, Manichaeism, yes. Oh, Manichaeism was, um, we're going to look at that, I think, at our next Theology on Tap. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to look at uh, various heresies, which, by the way, will be held upstairs. Next Theology on Tap will be in our building upstairs. So, um, uh, December, Tuesday, December 14th. And uh, Tim is brewing the beer. Where's Tim? He left. That's your birthday? Well, we'll sing happy birthday to you. Okay. We must leave. We must leave. Let me, say, let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for each day that we can gather uh, together to uh, hear of your promises and your defeat to the devil. Uh, be with us uh, as we gather, and give us your peace always in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.